Welcome to No More Normal. I'm Khalil Ecolona. New Mexico has joined 17 other states in embracing the full legalization of cannabis. For many, it has been a long time coming. We're not only talking about the people who have been, let's call it, meeting a friend for a special delivery from time to time. We're talking about the people who have been locked up for pot convictions. People whose communities have endured the burden created by arrests and prosecutions due to weed. People who are looking to get their records cleaned. Someone whose past conduct is now recognized by the law not to be a crime should not be under a sort of cloud from behavior that is no longer criminal, no longer socially recognized as something that we frown upon even. That's public defender Kim Chavez-Cook. She's coming right up. Listen to what she has to say. Trust me. Today, we ask the people of Albuquerque how they feel about weed being legal. We learn more about how the new law affects immigrant communities. We hear about the long fight for the Drug Policy Alliance, how one veteran is determined to use grass to help other vets, and we talk to two people whose lives were interrupted because of the so-called war on drugs. Nomono starts now. You may be asking yourself, what is in this new law? Or how does it work? Executive producer Marisa DeMarco and I break it down into plain language for you. So here's a quick story. Okay. So, you know, I've had my parents on the show several times. Mm -hmm. When I was eight, my parents split up. The first time my siblings and I were to go over to spend the night at our dad's house at this new place. You know, we go, we're hanging out, but our father spends a lot of time in the restroom. We're like, what's going on? And from what we could tell, he was playing jazz music and burning incense. We're like, okay. And this would go on throughout all the years. You know, we come to his house. We all go off to our separate areas. He's burning incense, either playing NPR, jazz, or reggae. So years later, we go to college. We go to a party. As things happen in college, smell a particular odor. And we're all like, that's our father's incense. (laughs) So yes. Yes, yes, I've got, I've got a little story, too. Okay. Uh, this is what my grandma tells. It's before she was a grandma, and she was just a mom with four rowdy sons and one daughter. <laughs> and one of her sons, I won't identify which son, gives her a plant to take care of. And so she sticks it in the windowsill, and she waters it, and she grows it. And uh, yeah, it's a big old weed plant, yeah. right? Yeah, and I don't think she knew. She didn't realize. And I think someone came over and was like, hey, what you growing over there? Nice. Yep. Grandma holds it down. <laughs> I love it. And 420 is right around the corner, so here's something you have to know. Okay, the thing you have to know mm-hmm. is that recreational cannabis is not legal yet in New Mexico. This not is yet. so important. The bill has passed. The governor signed it, but it doesn't take effect until June 29th. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got to lock that date in our minds, June 29th. And so you can have six mature plants and six immature plants at your house starting June 29th, too. More stuff you need to know. The legal age limit is going to be 21. 21 to buy it. 21 to have it. Mm -hmm. 21 to grow it. And 21 to work in the industry. But if you are of age, there's going to be all kinds of ways to work in the industry if that's the kind of job you're looking for. The law lays out some of the other gigs and the businesses that grow up around recreational cannabis like couriers, smoking lounges, servers, and testing labs. 
smoking lounges. You know we're going to see like a whole bunch of smoking lounges. All up and down <laughs> Route 66, <laughs> guaranteed. You know, but there's no industry yet. Sales are supposed to begin no later than April of next year, according to the law. Right, and so when you can buy it, when the industry does kick off in April 2022, mm-hmm. the max amount that you can buy will be two ounces at a time. And I, I feel like that's a lot, actually, now that we're thinking about it. That's completely reasonable. Yeah. Many New Mexicans are celebrating this new law. About 150,000 New Mexicans are celebrating because it means they could get their conviction expunged. That's a big deal for them and their families. For details about how this will all work, I spoke with Kim Chavez-Cook. She's an appellate defender for the Public Defender's Office. Kim, thanks for being with me. Thanks for having me. So break down for us how expungement will work for people who have had prior cannabis convictions. Do people have to apply for it? That's a great question, and I think what most people are probably wondering. The answer is no. Everything in the bill is designed to happen automatically. The agencies involved are supposed to take their initial steps based on a timeline laid out in statute. The court process, which is the sort of end of that process, is going to be controlled by rules that the Supreme Court will adopt that'll lay out more clarity on the timeline for the actual court procedure. But the Department of Public Safety and the jails and prisons are supposed to identify the eligible people automatically and then send that information to the courts to have the court process take place. Okay. That being said, if someone wants to file a petition, the bill also provides that option. Now, some people have a marijuana charge, among other charges. Will just the marijuana conviction be expunged and will that mean that they're incarcerated for less time? So if someone is serving a sentence now that includes, for example, cannabis possession as well as maybe DUI, Mm -hmm. the DUI conviction will not be expunged and will not be affected because that is still a crime even after the Canvas Regulation Act passed. So the way it's written is that it's this applies to any crime that is no longer a crime. In addition to expungement, there's also a section of the bill that refers to redesignating. So if a sentence just needs to be adjusted or a conviction is now something lesser, like a penalty misdemeanor where you just pay a fine, Mm -hmm. then instead of it being fully removed, it would be redesignated as whatever it is now under the new law. You know, as the governor signed the bill a couple of days ago, she said the Department of Corrections had noted 100 people who might be released from prison early because of the expungement Mm -hmm. bill. Is the public defender's office cross-checking that list to see if there could be more people? Under the new bill, we're not involved in that cross-checking process. So we are not taking affirmative steps to do that. But certainly... If it is a client that is a former client and it goes to the court, if there's any dispute and it affects someone's sentence, they may qualify to have a public defender involved in that process. But otherwise, the way it's laid out right now is to be very streamlined and go from the Department of Public Safety identifying them, the Corrections Department identifying them, and then go straight to the court from there. The governor also said that state police identified 150,000 people who could have their convictions expunged. Does that number sound about right to you? It's very hard to say. I trust that it is right. We certainly in the last few years, we had changed most of the lower quantities of marijuana possession to misdemeanors. Before that, it was a felony, though, and this 150,000 would include going back decades, potentially. 
during the pandemic, the governor, she issued an order about releasing some people from prison. But we've heard from advocates that way fewer people got out than could have. What does it really take to really make this expungement law work? Well, I think the expungement law will be much more effective because it's mandatory. The options that the governor was looking at during the pandemic that were more for sort of compassionate release because of the health conditions in prison with outbreaks of coronavirus happening and things like that were all discretionary. So there was a lot of flexibility for corrections not to release people, even if they qualified to be eligible for release. Mm -hmm. Under this statute, there's no flexibility like that. It's really mandatory. Everyone is required to do this. Um, It may take a while to get through that list of 150,000 people. And I'm not sure how DPS and the courts will prioritize those. I hope that they'll be prioritizing people who are still under a sentence and then move on to people who are just dealing with more of the long-term collateral consequences of a record. Now, we just got through a news release from the Albuquerque Police Department about a drug bust that police say included all kinds of drugs, but also marijuana. Recreational marijuana isn't legal until the end of June. So if the police are charging people with marijuana related crimes still, will that just have to be expunged in a couple of months? Yes, that's exactly right. So the expungement provision in the bill requires the automatic expungement at least as fast as two years after the arrest or conviction. So those cases would have to be expunged two years from now, assuming that the arrests that are taking place now in that case you refer to end up going to conviction. It would be two years from now they would have to be expunged. As to the cannabis, of course, if the if they are convicted of any other drugs, they will not be affected or yeah. expunged. Now, this final grand question for you. Why is expungement necessary as a part of drug policy reform? Absolutely. And this is sort of the big question and why we were so in favor of Senate Bill 2. It's sort of similar to what we were just talking about, of the fundamental fairness aspect of someone whose past conduct is now recognized by the law not to be a crime should not be under a sort of cloud from behavior that is no longer criminal, no longer socially recognized as something that we frown upon even, where it is perfectly legal for adults to consume cannabis. We don't want people prevented from getting access to housing, employment, educational opportunities, if it's not going to affect people in those negative ways going forward, we don't want people, you know, similarly situated to have their lives negatively impacted by what we now see as very minor behavior. She is Kim Chavez Cook, an appellate defender for the Public Defender's Office. Thank you so much for taking time to speak with us and to clarify this. Really appreciate it. Absolutely, Khalil. My pleasure. What better way to find out how everyday people really feel about something than to get out with the folks and ask them some questions? Well, I left the Mono HQ and ventured out into the Albuquerque sunshine to see what's what. As of June 29th, all adults 21 and over get a pass on grass here in the land of enchantment. I decided to hit the streets to see how the people feel about it. My first stop, ABQ Uptown, slightly fancy with William Sonoma and all that jazz. It was at the Apple Store where I met a young man by the name of Kenny Fong. I asked him what he thought about the passage of the new law, and he had an interesting answer. I'm high as right now, bro. Oh, really? You're very high right now. Okay, okay, so I guess you're in support of it. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Do you know much about it? 
No. I think that they were supposed to have like 90 days to really like get things more like uh, together and then tell us what's going on, but I don't know. So I gave him some of the details. You can have two ounces on your person. You can have 16 grams of concentrated cannabis on your person, although I'm not sure what that is. Wax. You can have up to 800 milligrams of edibles and... You're able to purchase it, you're able to produce it yourself, and you can give it away. How do you feel about that? That's awesome. I think it's like a, it's just like alcohol. To me, like, cannabis has never been like, never been anything really bad, so... If people enjoy it, they enjoy it. If not, they don't. It's, it is what it is. Do you drink much? Uh, every once in a while, but not so much because I'm a stoner. Okay. Yeah. Okay. An Apple employee came outside to put the kibosh on our conversation, so I kept it moving to downtown Albuquerque, home of Bikini, Sister Bar, and the Anodyne. I ran into some cool ladies who were hanging at Inside Out. It's a bar with no roof. They are. Bridget Otero. Brandy Mountjoy. Bridget tells me how her medicinal use has been vital to her. I love it because it helps me with my cancer. I have stage four cancer and it's nose, neck, and throat cancer. How long have you been using cannabis to help you? My whole life. <laughs> Practically. Brandy supports the bill as well. She also has similar reasons to Bridget for using cannabis. I was in a car accident and I broke my spine and so my doctor's all for medical cannabis. So she was like, why don't you get your medical card? And so I was like, okay, so I did that. And so I think a lot of people benefit from it. My dad benefits from it. He has diabetes and stuff like that. So I think it's good for my friend here, you know. It helps her with her shit. I know it does. So yeah, I think it's a great idea. Yo, Bridget and Brandy, keep it real. I thank them both for their time and I get back on the beat. I walk about five blocks east and I begin to smell something. I think I know what I'm smelling. I followed that smell to its source and there I met. My name is Hef the Great, uh, Boss Gong Media. <laughs> As you're about to hear, Hef had no problems in expressing how he feels about the new law. Oh man, we is too late, but we right on time. You know what I'm saying? We too late, but we right on time. I'm really kind of happy for it. You know, uh, it's been needed to happen here. You know what I'm saying? It really has. Cannabis allows us to live in the pursuit of happiness, and that's what really is our First Amendment right. You know what I'm saying? Now, that's not quite the correct order of the Bill of Rights, but there's always the chance of amendments. And so it's like when we're able to smoke this, eat it, ingest it, however you do it, it, like, it, it allows you not to be so angry. And so I was listening to our ex-governor talk about, damn, I wish I would have did it back in the, in the 90s, though, because that's what really is getting at me. It's like, man, we are the last one in our little circle, but we finally did it. Our legislators finally got their heads out there and they finally figured out how to do this. All the felons, to have felonies for marijuana, they need to be put at the top of the list of having dispensaries. It's not fair for these people who don't even smoke marijuana to own dispensaries. You know what I'm saying? It's like cool, there's an industry for everybody, but this is one that people who have given up their lives, their families have suffered because they've been in incarcerated. They're gonna be the ones who benefit from this also on top. You know, that's my get out. It's your boy Hef the Great, Big Boss Gong. Hey, hey, thank you for coming down. We right here in front of Boss Gong Studios. We doing big boy things down here and we changing the narrative. You know what I'm saying? After thanking Hef the Great for holding it down, I set out to Oni 
Noodle. They were setting up for the dinner crowd. I convinced two members of the crew to take a quick break to chat with me. Let's just say that they were more than eager once they heard the conversation topic. I spoke with Lara Sullivan and Hosanna Scott. I am really excited for it. I think that it's going to be great for the state and the state's economy and also to reduce the amount of nonviolent drug crimes that people get arrested for in Albuquerque. I'm pretty excited, but I know some weird things come along with just recreational weed in general. I'm interested to see how we do with it. Can you elaborate on the weird things that come along with it? Um, well, my boyfriend, he works for a medical dispensary right now. And I just know that, like, as the market becomes more saturated, it just, like, inflation goes. And, you know, that could mean that maybe his grow will, like, be less important in the long run because there's going to be a whole bunch of new grows coming. I don't think there's any reason why I should be able to go to a store and purchase medical or recreational marijuana while people sit in jail and prison for these crimes that other people are not being prosecuted for anymore. There's no reason why they should still be locked up and serving sentences. Come on, man. Everyone loves to smoke some weed. We shouldn't be getting charges for weed anymore. Yeah. yeah. What do you have to say to some of the critics who are like, oh, people are just going to smoke weed. There's going to be a spike in DUIs. And they're predicting that a lot of folks are going to be highly irresponsible with this. This is the thing. You know, legal or not, people have been smoking weed, and I don't think it'll cause any, like, harm to people who are smoking weed. I just think it'll make it more safe for us to do it and not be, like, paranoid about it or, you know, just stupid stuff like that. It's just weed. <laughs> do you have any special plans when it's officially legal? We're going to blaze it hard. Going to request off and everything. <laughs> All right. With having put downtown and uptown officially in the books, I decided to roll up to the UNM campus to check out the temperature there. I may be in luck. Could be a potential stoners coming my way. Is that profiling? And if so, what kind? Oh, they definitely look like they get high. Oh, they're going into someplace else. Next time. I ran into Jeremy Soto, who was slightly early for class, so he gave me a couple minutes. I think it's about time. Yeah. I think they should have done it a long time ago. Uh, I mean, people use it for good. I mean, it's way less dangerous than alcohol. And if that's legal, why can't this be, you know? Do you use cannabis, if you don't mind my asking? Um, I personally don't, but a lot of my family members do. And they use it instead of, like, other medicine, and it's better for them, so I'm in full support. As long as, like, some of this cannabis money is going towards, like, minorities and not just, like, white people that are, like, taking up this business now, that would be a good thing because a lot of times that's what happens. So hopefully that's what will happen, but I guess we'll have to see. About a neighborhood away from the UNM campus lives a great friend of mine. Hello, my name is Roscoe Floyd. We hang out, socially distanced, in his backyard. There, he breaks down how he feels about this new law. I feel great about legal cannabis, man. I am a medical cannabis user. I'm very pleased. I'm happy and looking forward to it. I also think the people who have uh, been incarcerated for small time marijuana violations, if there's an opportunity to uh, start a business or work for a marijuana dispensary, those people who were incarcerated should get first dibs on uh, allowing the opportunity for them to transition back into a functioning society and they don't feel shunned or feel like there's a black cloud over their heads because they were incarcerated. They definitely want to be respected like real people. So what have I learned? 
The people I spoke with are supporters of this new law. Many of them have been medical users for a while. Everyone wants this to benefit everyone and not just the wealthy and well-connected. Anyone who has had legal trouble involving cannabis should be released and have their records cleared. And for all those who think that this is a bad idea, well, here's Roscoe with the final word. My words for people who don't think this is a good idea, please take some time and educate Educate yourselves. Look up the positives of California, Colorado, and the other states that have gone through legalization. You know, they're basically just um, flipping the negative to a positive and it worked out really well. If you're not quite behind this movement, talk to people and just smoke a joint. Bold Futures is an organization that creates policy change to help women and people of color. With their help, I was able to speak to a young man, Armando, about how this has affected him, his future, and what he hopes this new law will bring. So let me ask you, first, how has marijuana being illegal impacted your life? Uh, It stopped me from going to school because they suspended me. They stopped me from doing my sports, which kept me out of a lot of trouble which kept me active, which kept me going back and forth to school, which helped me out in the long run with my academics, which I gave me good grades. But once I caught my first charge with possession of it, it kind of ruined a lot of things for me. So what other kind of fallouts did you see in your life because of the legal trouble? I wasn't able to finish my school, wasn't able to go back to school because of it, Hmm. wasn't able to finish my football season now, wasn't able to finish graduating wasn't able to move on in life with higher paying jobs, stuff like that. So we got the state, it's legalizing marijuana fully, maybe starting next year, maybe before. Given everything that you've experienced, this personal loss because of this law that no longer exists, how are you thinking about this? How are you handling this? I'm, I'm pretty excited for it to come. It's, it's going to bring a lot of visitors, people over here to New Mexico. It's going to bring a lot of attention a lot of people knowing where new mexico is at on the map gonna put us on that map you know what i mean yeah it's gonna help us out in the long run or financially with bringing things to new mexico like new sources of things for new mexico i feel you now do you feel like this could have been done a long time ago yes i do believe it could have been done a long time ago because it's been going on for decades and people have been smoking for decades they've been getting in trouble for it losing opportunities in their own lives because of trouble with possession or distribution or anything like that Mm -hmm. and it's ruined a lot of people's lives for decades now yeah you're telling the truth on that now this new law you know the state's setting up this automated system for reviewing and expunging criminal records for marijuana actions that are now legal are you hoping to have your case as one of the ones that get expunged I'm pretty excited about that news. I've been really looking into that my case is still pending as of right now and it's already been more than a year and it's still pending and they've brought up the case several times, and I'm always having to go back to court, wasting gas, going back and forth to court, yeah. and bringing up other charges, changing my lawyers. It's, it's been a rough roll for me, honestly. If your case gets expunged, what do you plan to do? I plan on wanting to go to school to get my GED, to finish going to for a degree that I would like in mechanics or something like that. I've been out on the streets for like three days, right? Talking to people, seeing how they feel about it. And I ran into one cat who was telling me that, you know, 
he has some friends of his. They've been selling pot for a long time and then they got caught up in the system, but they have an expertise in it. And he feels like they should be allowed to, once their records get expunged, since they know a lot about cannabis, they should be able to get into the field and selling it. Yeah, yeah. I See, I can agree with that, Cat, because if they know a lot about it and that's something that they could work towards and make money from yeah. legally, then that's something that they could do. It'll keep them out of trouble. It'll keep them focused on a job. It'll get them something to pay. They don't have to be out on the streets doing what they're doing. You know what I mean? It, it helps everybody in the long run. Some critics out there, they believe that this recreational cannabis is going to lead to just craziness. You know, essentially, like the druggy boogeyman is going to hook everybody's kids in the streets. It's going to be nothing but chaos. Why do you think cannabis gets such a bad rap? Because some people don't understand the real use of it. Some people just think that it's just for fun or just to want to get high just because people like to fun. They don't understand the real reason somebody's going through something or what they've gone through or how they dealt with it. You know what I mean? Like everyone has their own way of dealing with things. Yeah, And some people make a bad judgment off of just one little thing. I could see, like, if they're thinking bad of it because they're overusing it or something like that. But if you're doing it the right way and the proper way, there's no way for someone to speak badly about it. So, yeah, I, I go against that. Armando, the best of luck to you. Thank you so much for talking, man. I really appreciate, appreciate it. it, man. You guys have a good one. This is No More Normal. I'm Khalil Ekelona. Pot, grass, ganja, weed, sticky icky, whatever you want to call it, cannabis is about to be all the way legal here in New Mexico. We're unpacking the policies for you and unearthing fresh perspectives so you've got the information you need as this legal change comes to the state. Stick with us for the next 30 minutes. No More Normal is brought to you by Your New Mexico Government, a collaboration between KUNM, New Mexico PBS, and the Santa Fe Reporter. Funding for our coverage comes from the Kellogg Foundation and KUNM listeners like you. Support for public media provided by the Thornburg Foundation. Hear us each week on KUNM Sundays at 11 a.m. Find past episodes online at KUNM.org or wherever you look for podcasts. Bold Futures also got me in touch with Erica, a bright and lively mother and business owner who has the gift of gab. She told me about how a situation involving her daughter led to years of stress and the loss of privacy. So first question is, how has marijuana being illegal impacted your life? I was unfortunately part of a situation where the illegalization really impacted my family life. I had been on the program for about four or five years at the time. Legally, when you're on the program, you can grow your own. So we grow our own and, you know, we make everything that we use here at home. Mm -hmm. And one year, my younger daughter took some weed to school. She had never herself tried it, but all of us have PTSD because my husband passed. So I had been on the program. It helps my anxiety. So I get the call, you know, your daughter brought weed to school. So go to the school. I'm pretty straightforward, pretty honest. I don't get in trouble. So I figured I'm on the program. You know, I use it literally like medication. They took custody of her that weekend. They tested her THC levels. By that Monday, I got custody back because in talking to the CYFD worker, she was like, your daughter made a mistake. But because you're honest, they're taking it up a level. So she investigated me. The police department investigated me. I got inspected. My home did everything. Everybody pretty much just dropped it. So I didn't hear anything for like three months. Hmm. Then I get a call 
from the sheriff's department. And they're like, well, since you live in the county, the sheriff's department has to conduct their own investigation. So you're going to get a call from a detective. A month later, the CYFD worker calls. I'm closing the case. You've been cleared. So I was like, cool. Thank you. I appreciate it. Literally the next week, three sheriffs show up. They arrest me. They have a warrant. And it's six felony charges. I was facing 21 years of prison time. This blew up. I went to jail. And the next day when I got out, I was on the news. I had been in a newspaper, not just in Las Cruces. I was in High Times Magazine. Mm -hmm. And nobody ever asked, like, what really went down? What type of fallout happened in your life because of all this? I had to take a lot of time off work. I lost probably about, maybe about 5% of my clientele. Hmm. I don't know if I lost any new clientele because if you Google my name, unfortunately, you know, that comes up. I've had to do lots of explaining to people because people have seen it. They have read it. Even people I didn't even realize. I've been lucky. I, since I am a hairstylist, I try to live my life in such a way that if people talk bad about you, they'll never believe it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I had a lot of support, but the hardest thing was with my daughter, our relationship. You know, I don't trust her at all. How old is she? She is now 17. She was probably about 14, 13. She was like in seventh or eighth grade at the time. Okay. But, you know, everybody that knew about it in the school system, too, like everybody just looks at you different. That's just the bottom line. You know, with all this happening to you and and this stress that is caused upon your family, now the state has legalized this fully. Given what you went through, how are you thinking about this? I'm excited. I think my biggest excitement is the revenue it's going to bring in for the state. And I'm hoping that they'll use part of it to educate people on it, even people who are now on the medical card. I'm really excited that there's not going to be this law enforcement monkey on your back. I want to thank you very much again for taking time to talk with us and thank you for sharing your story. The best and best of luck to you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. The Drug Policy Alliance is a national organization that advocates for the reformation of our drug laws and policies, prioritizing science, health, human rights, and compassion. Emily Kaltenbach is the Senior Director of Resident States in New Mexico. She's been working on this a long time, and she breaks down for me how she feels about what finally did come to pass. Emily Kaltenbach, thank you very much for joining me on No More Normal. I want to ask you, you have been fighting for this for such a long time in New Mexico. Recreational cannabis usage. How does it feel now that it's finally done? Uh, There's a lot of relief and gratitude that we were able to pass a bill that addressed a lot of the inequities that exist in our current system. That's the reason we're doing it. Tell me, how do you feel about the recreational cannabis measure and the expungement bill? From our perspective, we couldn't have just a legalization framework Mm -hmm. without the social justice equity, which included the expungement and So that was non-negotiable from Drug Policy Alliance's perspective. 
Is there anything missing from either of those that, you know, you're hoping will be added or modified down the line? So one of the things that we had hoped would be included in the bill, and it was originally, was allocations for where the revenue would go. Mm. Because we have been advocating that revenue should be reinvested back into communities that have been harmed by prohibition, Mm -hmm. communities that are economically disadvantaged, communities that have been know, harmed not only by the war on drugs, but also on high rates of overdose deaths. And there was also money set aside for medical cannabis patients, for folks who are low income, because medicine, as we all know, is very expensive and is not covered like other medicines are. So that was included. And then also funding to ensure there's equity in the industry. We want to make sure that we don't just have out of state big marijuana business coming in. Mm-hmm. You know, who's making the money? Yeah. Typically, white people who can access capital. And then those who have been criminalized disproportionately are the ones that get left behind. So we want to make sure there's some funds to set up to help the sort of equity licenses be able to participate in the new industry. I like that idea because, well, one, it makes it in a sense very fair. To those, if someone who has had a, a cannabis conviction for selling cannabis over the years, they can then get into the industry, have that conviction expunged, and have access and importantly the funds because it's not really cheap to start these up, is from what I understand. Yeah, they aren't. The good news in the bill is that we advocate for a micro license business type, so it takes less capital to get in. You can grow up to 200 plants, and um, the fees are scaled. But that may not be enough. Now, beyond the economic benefits, why is it important that marijuana was decriminalized and even made legal here in New Mexico? Yeah, I mean, I would say that the economic benefits are important, but we can't hang our hat on cannabis legalization to solve you know, all the budget yeah. woes in the state. But yes. it's really important that cannabis is part of a diverse industry because we can't rely on oil and gas. I mean, from DPA's perspective, we were doing this because there are huge harms from prohibition and we need to right those Mm -hmm. wrongs and legalization is part of that. It's also really important or mostly important because of social justice and equity. Like I said, repairing those harms. So people who are most likely to be arrested, convicted, incarcerated for cannabis convictions, that harm is directly on communities of color, low-income communities, young people. The bill actually has specific language that says people who have a prior conviction can work and be licensed in the industry. Mm -hmm. Public health reasons, right? When you have an unregulated marketplace, there are no consumer protections, young people have increased access, you know, why not reinvest the dollars back into community safety and public health? The other is around protection for users, because Mm -hmm. if we had just decriminalized, their lives could be disrupted for use of cannabis, right? They could be denied healthcare benefits still because it isn't a legal substance. They could be denied custody Mm -hmm. of their children. So we built into this legislation language that would protect users. That's important. It shows that it's a lot more than just allowing people to smoke a joint on the street. Exactly. Which is not just to say is not allowed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 50, <laughs> a $50, $50 fine. fine, exactly. 
Now, we see a lot of states doing this, but this is still illegal under federal law, and it's still classified as a Schedule One drug. At a federal level, I think that public opinion is changing. Mm -hmm. I think that lawmakers are slowly catching up. So we're going to start seeing a shift at a federal level. Just in December, Congress passed a really great bill called the Moore Act, and that would have legalized at a federal level, and that was centered in justice and equity. You know, that was the first time ever that a legalization measure passed Congress. When you all are back at it, what's next for the New Mexico Drug Policy Alliance? There are still a lot of people who are criminalized for our drug laws in this state. We advocate that we should be decriminalizing drug use and possession and low-level sales in our state. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be a focus for us. We need to be investing in public health. We need to be investing in people, not in the criminal justice system. Well, I want to thank you so much for being with me. She is Emily Kaltenbach. She is with New Mexico Drug Policy Alliance. Emily, thanks again for joining me. Thanks, Khalil. Even though cannabis will be legal in the state on June 29th, it is still federally illegal. I'm back with Marisa to dissect this just a little bit. Yeah, this is where things get totally weird. Mm. Marijuana is still a Schedule One drug under the Federal Controlled Substances Act. Mm. And so that means it's up there with the most heavily controlled substances, and it's classified as something that's pretty dangerous and has no medical uses, according mm. according to the act. Even though in 36 states, marijuana was legalized for medical use? Right. Hmm. And 36, that's more than half of this country, right? Yes. Marijuana picked up this Schedule I classification in 1970. And then, just two years later, organizations and politicians started trying to have it removed from that classification. But it never works. There are petitions, there are bills, there are lawsuits over and over and over. Nothing works. It's still Schedule I. This federal view of a plant that's legal in a bunch of states now makes banking hard for people working in cannabis industries. And it can make things hard for people who rely on federal benefits. And it opens the door for ICE and the immigration courts to crack down on folks who are undocumented. Oof. Yeah. All right. That's the next bit of the show today. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have on the line two lawyers with the New Mexico Immigrant Law Center. We have Diana Torres, the Economic Justice Supervising Attorney, and Arifa Rasa, who's the Detention and Asylum Supervising Attorney. Good morning to you both. Good morning. This whole episode is about cannabis being legalized in New Mexico. And even when it's legal in the state, it'll still be illegal under federal law. And it's still classified as a Schedule One drug. So does this mean that Immigration and Customs Enforcement, which is a federal agency, could still arrest people for possession or distribution? This is Arifa. That puts immigrant communities in a very vulnerable position because any possession of marijuana, convictions of marijuana, or even admissions of marijuana use could potentially put an immigrant into deportation proceedings, as well as like mandatory detention within immigrant prisons. I'm sure it'll be confusing for a lot of folks because they'll be seeing stores 
that have recreational cannabis. They might be seeing people who are legally within state guidelines using recreational cannabis in their own homes. So how do you plan to make sure the word gets out about this potential jeopardy for people who are immigrants? The biggest thing that we're trying to do currently is to educate the immigrant community so that they understand that while marijuana use might be allowed under state law, they still cannot use any marijuana or even work in the marijuana industry until they're a U.S. citizen. One thing I did want to note is The companion bill to the recreational marijuana bill includes this wonderful provision of expungements. However, for immigration purposes, a conviction, even if expunged, is still going to be looked at. And so it's really important to educate the community that even if they do get a drug charge, a marijuana charge expunged, it's still going to be considered if they ever apply for immigration relief. Right. And so that could potentially, if I'm understanding you right, negatively impact if they have an ongoing immigration case in the federal courts or if they're embarking on a new case, right? Yes. So it would be taken into consideration at various points. If they're trying to apply for immigration relief, let's say they now have an option and they are applying for it, this conviction will be looked at. Also, if they're a green card holder and they are traveling back into the country after leaving the country on a visit, this could also be an issue when they're trying to return to the United States. It's from everyone in the immigrant community, from those that have no status to those that are green card holders. Diana, you work on economic justice issues, right? This means that there's going to be this whole new probably very, we've seen in other states, very lucrative industry. And it's already been incredibly lucrative in New Mexico as far as medical cannabis. A lot of people have either started working in this industry. It opened up a lot of job opportunities. People open their own businesses and stores and nonprofits. Does this create further economic inequities? Like this will be a whole industry that people cannot access without putting themselves in jeopardy. Yes, you are absolutely right. Let me give you an example. So there have been cases in Colorado where where people work legally, right, in the marijuana industry, and then they are green card holders, they have no criminal record, they apply for their citizenship, and they are denied that application, the citizenship, due to the fact that they worked in the marijuana industry in Colorado. We are going to see a lot of people wanting to get into this industry because it is lucrative, but it can affect them negatively at the moment when they are applying for citizenship or residency. I mean, the reason that they held a whole special session about it is that this is going to help bring us out of this recession, this pandemic recession and into economic recovery. And it's expected to bring really a lot of money to the state. You know, a lot of the new jobs, especially as we're seeing older jobs disappear, a lot of the new jobs will be in this industry. So as you're thinking about this, what level of urgency does it have for you that this kind of get straightened out in some way? At the national level, there is a lot of talks to decriminalize federal marijuana crimes and trying to change the Immigration and Nationality Act so that these marijuana arrests or admissions or convictions won't be as serious as they currently are. However, who knows when that'll actually happen. There may be different ways 
the state can ameliorate some of these issues with charges and convictions related to marijuana use. As of right now, we're really just on really researching how we can make our state laws more protective towards the immigrant community now with the rolling out of recreational marijuana. Was this something that you talked to lawmakers about? Because they've tried so many times to get this bill through, right? Is this something that you were able to communicate with lawmakers about over the years as they were working on this? I will say me and Diana in our personal capacities have not. And I don't believe the New Mexico Immigrant Law Center was ever approached regarding recreational marijuana use. So I hope that lawmakers did talk to the affected immigrant communities and advocates on that front. I know it's relatively new. Has there been any guidance from the federal government, from the immigrant court system or from ICE about this stuff? Like, have they issued something that says, hey, listen, we recognize this problem. Here's some best practices or thoughts about how to handle it. Yeah. So the federal government has issued guidance policy guidance saying that a violation is generally a bar to establishing good moral character, which is required to obtain citizenship. Um, This is the case even if the conduct is legal under state law or under applicable foreign law. And they issued this policy once they realized that a lot of states were legalizing marijuana and they were seeing how this was affecting the immigrant community and they just wanted to clarify Yeah, that policy memo came out, I believe, in 2019, directing immigration officers to really look at any potential marijuana use. So I think Diana is very diplomatic, but it's very much saying, hey, we're going to look at you even harder if you live in a state that has legalized marijuana. And we've seen that in different states, such as Washington and in Colorado, where Immigration officers are now asking very pointed questions regarding marijuana use in order to find somebody inadmissible or like barred from immigration benefits. So really different standards, right? Here we have, you know, all these people in New Mexico are trying to figure out how they can get in on this, how they can make some money, maybe open a business or go to work for one of these places. As part of economic opportunity, our state leaders are like, yes, let's do this, let's go for it, but still would come down as something seen as bad moral character for somebody who's applying for immigration status or who has an immigration case. So you mentioned that you've seen some other cases crop up around the country where people are being penalized or are being questioned really aggressively in states that do have legal cannabis. Are you using that to inform how you consider and proceed on the cases that you have in the works? We're just beginning to look at this. And what I found when I was doing this research is that people have been adversely affected, even if they work as a secretary in the cannabis industry and they have nothing to do with growing the plants or anything. There was this young man who started working in the cannabis industry after his mother got cancer in Colorado because he was interested in the medicinal benefits of marijuana. His name is Oswaldo Varientos and he's been all over the news. He was an upstanding resident of the United States. He graduated from high school. He paid all of his taxes. He didn't have a criminal record. He applied for his citizenship And they denied it just because he worked in the cannabis industry since 2014. I think that we're going to use those examples to say this is not something that's safe for you if you want to become a U.S. citizen in the near future. Arifa. 
One thing that's very troubling is if you're trying to have a business, if you're trying to work in this thriving industry, immigration officials are going to identify that as drug trafficking, which is a serious crime or offense. We are just very worried about the population we serve. Yeah. Legalizing recreational cannabis is part of a many, many years long effort at drug policy reform in this country. Do you think these drug policy reform efforts overall are helpful to the people that you represent? Yes. So it is great to finally decriminalize marijuana use, especially because it's affected communities of color in such a disproportionate, harmful way. When it comes to the immigrant community, one thing that we are hoping is that that will end up helping immigrants that are trying to seek certain benefits because we now have this new culture that's slowly being implemented so that we're hoping that the federal government and you know immigration will catch up to the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah. I think just in general for the immigrant community, if any of you are listening and you're not U.S. citizens, right? You're an immigrant and you're not a U.S. citizen. I would say don't carry with you or travel with marijuana or medical card to use marijuana. Don't admit to an immigration officer or consular officer that you have ever possessed or used marijuana. Do not work in the cannabis industry, even if you're going to work as a secretary or as an accountant for a cannabis business, do not accept those jobs that can adversely affect your path to citizenship. Do not invest in the medical marijuana industry either. Don't do even not invest. invest in stock. No. I know it's tempting, but do not invest in stock. Oof. It's unfair, but it is what it is right now. And we are just looking out for your best interest. Thank you very much, Diana Torres and Arifa Rasa with the New Mexico Immigrant Law Center. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having us. Army veteran Dick Wilkinson has created the New Mexico Veterans Cannabis Alliance, a new group who aims to use the new cannabis industry to help veterans get ahead. Dick Wilkinson, welcome to No More Normal. Thanks for being with me. Thank you. Experts estimate between 10 to 30 percent of veterans suffer from PTSD. How can the use of cannabis help them in ways where other medications don't? I'm definitely not a medical expert, but I am a veteran and I am a patient and I understand what my peers and other patients suffer from. The aspect of PTSD, a lot of that is anxiety related and a lot of the symptoms are very similar to, you know, anxiety. And I know that a lot of people that suffer from that find that cannabis really helps just take that sort of anxious feeling away. Mm -hmm. Now, as a veteran yourself, have you found the use of cannabis helpful? I should ask first, have you used cannabis? I absolutely have found cannabis to be a very beneficial medication for me. I'm service disabled, and I find that cannabis is just a very effective medication. Can you describe to me some of the conversations you've had with other veterans who are struggling with PTSD, and particularly those who are using cannabis to kind of help them treat the condition? A lot of other medications that are prescribed for PTSD or the symptoms associated with it are fairly intrusive pharmaceuticals for your brain chemistry and for your body. They have side effects that are very undesirable, and you have to take it every day and kind of learn how to manage those side effects. Mm. With cannabis, that's not the case. If you need to take it every day, you take it every day. If you need to take it sometimes, you take it when you need it. And if there's a side effect that's undesirable, it's very easy to manage, and it's short-term. The ability to manage your symptoms and your side effects in small doses when you need it is really an effective way to deal with the PTSD symptoms that my peers suffer from. 
Talk to me about the difference for veterans in using medical cannabis medicinally as you are, as opposed to those who want to get into recreational use or involvement. Using it as a medicine to treat specific symptoms really does depart from using it as a social or recreational substance. Now, of course, it's been around for that forever, <laughs> and it's honestly served both purposes for humanity for a very long time, both the social lubricant and the medical response that we need to things. So as the industry develops, I think we've just got to be able to understand that any substance has the potential to be very helpful for our society or has the potential to cause harm. Many veterans receive benefits due to their service. They may want to become involved in the recreational cannabis industry, but the use of cannabis is still federally illegal. How can they move forward in the industry and not jeopardize their benefits? I will say you've touched on something where there's a lot of mythology. And so the organization that I'm putting together, the New Mexico Veterans Cannabis Alliance, that will be one of our primary goals is to answer those questions. I can't answer all the questions that I think people would have. But I do know one of the biggest ones that people are concerned about is their VA medical benefits. That's an extremely valuable resource to most, you know, retirees or veterans or especially disabled veterans. And they're very concerned that if they participate in the cannabis industry, whether medically or professionally on an adult use way, that they're going to lose access to that. And that's just not true. The VA has accepted that patients do use cannabis as medicine, and you can be open and honest with your doctor about that. I'm sure that there are some patients that have had bad experiences and that there have been some doctors in the system that have really been against it. And I believe that's where a lot of that mythology comes from, is some of those bad experiences. Tell me more about the mission of the New Mexico Veterans Cannabis Alliance. There are people like me that are veterans that want to own small businesses and they have not been able to participate in the cannabis medical industry because it's been very limited. The change in that and what's coming next year is that the market access will be much, much broader and there will be a lot of people that can participate. So we would like to be able to educate them on what their rights are in dealing with the federal government and what their opportunities are here in the state and just get them access to the industry. And my idea of doing that is mentorship with existing industry players. Mm -hmm. And I'd also like to help them seek funding to find investors that are willing to to reach out and say, I know that it takes quite a bit of money to get started. Yeah. Uh, Let's help you get started and let's teach you how to do it well so that you can have a successful business for a long time. That's really our goal. All right. He is Dick Wilkinson, the creator and founder of the New Mexico Veterans Cannabis Alliance. Dick, thank you for being on No More Normal. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Now would be the time to invest in rolling paper manufacturing. Organic. You could corner the market. Wait, should I say that on the air? I mean, that's a really good business idea. Hmm. Khalil's Organic Paper. Hmm. As always, we want to thank our guests for sharing their experience and expertise with us. Special thanks to Zaley Pollan, Megan Kamrick, and Taylor Velasquez for pitching in with editing help. Shout out to Jazzstone, the producer, Cheo, Dom Life, Business School, Sundog, and Olad Records for providing music to the show. Kaki, Pope Yes Yes Y'all, and Bigawatt produced some of the show's themes. No More Normal is executive produced by Marisa DeMarco. It's produced and hosted by yours truly. Taylor Velasquez handles social media and content generation. I'm Khalil Ekolona. For everyone here at No More Normal, thanks for listening.